Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Party Kadri. How's it going, Party? I'm doing well. It snowed a little bit this morning. We got so. big snow. Yeah, we got quite a bit of snow here in Chicago. I am going to have to like my my tasks for today are record podcast uh, and and shovel out car oh, no. because <laughs> we got a little bit of snow. Um, so yeah, maybe that set, sets the scene maybe for for this week's podcast. We're gonna look elsewhere um, first. Where We're it's gonna not do snowing. A, where it's not <laughs> snowing exactly. Maybe it's snowing a little bit in England. Never maybe. never count that out. But. Um, yeah, because we've we've done a couple really NWSL off season focused podcasts, which is worth doing. It's been kind of a fast and furious off season for a number of different reasons. Um, but you know, everybody who listens to this regularly knows that we don't we don't get into the the ins and outs of leagues like uh, FAWSL like we do with the NWSL, just because I think our expertise is a little bit higher stateside. But worth checking in because I think we have some interesting things happening over in England. And so I, I kind of pitched it to Pardeep, you know, I was, it, this is maybe a good place to start is I, I said, yeah, I think we should probably talk about FAWSL a little bit because, you know, Arsenal's having a weird time right now. Chelsea's having a weird time right now. And you made a very good point, which is that Chelsea's weird time includes three games off because of COVID. Right. Yeah. So maybe with a more general question, Obviously, the FAWSL had to deal with, like every other winter sport between 2021 and 2022, has had to deal with a number of postponements due to Omicron, the Omicron variant, right? Um, Do you think that has contributed to what we're seeing at the top of the table, which is a couple teams that maybe we weren't quite expecting when when the season kicked off? I think yes and no. I mean, I think... This actually reminds me of a conversation we had months ago, right? Either during the Olympics, right after the Olympics, about how the last stretch of years with the pandemic going on has probably impacted everybody mentally, but at different times. Mm -hmm. And very, I feel like not just the COVID postponements for Chelsea have kicked in and made things a little bit difficult for them, but I remember, I mean, their team that had a COVID outbreak. Um, and I remember right before all those positive tests came in before Christmas, Emma Hayes said something like, um, you know, the rise in cases had a really strong mental impact on how the team was performing. Yeah. Um, they obviously had a really big loss in the Champions League right before their outbreak. They lost several games. They've only played this is uh, they've only played two games this year mm-hmm. so far, whereas right. other teams have played more. They just seem to be going through a rough patch that is probably partly soccer related, but partly not. I mean, I, the game they played against uh, Brighton, right? <laughs> Uh, over the weekend, it seemed like they were, I mean, they did a lot of their regular stuff. It also felt like they were on autopilot and a little bit sloppy as a result. And it just seems like a lot of different things are just not going in their favor right now. Yeah, this might be, I mean, this is definitely a conversation biased by like what week we're dropping in, right? Because we could have been having a different conversation maybe, um, in November or the beginning of December, but, um, yeah, let's, I mean, yeah, let's dig into Chelsea first a little bit. So Chelsea is currently in third. Um, in the FAWSL table, um, they have been leapfrogged by Manchester United, who are having actually a great run of form right now. They've won, I think, four games in a row. Um, Chelsea is interesting to me because they are having a weird, it's not quite the good vibes of last season, right? Partially, I think you're right because of some of the disruptions due to everything off the field. Um, some of it is is plain old getting outplayed, I think, especially what we're seeing on the European stage. Then, you know, we had the game this weekend where they had a scoreless draw with Brighton, as you as you mentioned, and that game, I actually think they were fine. I think that it's kind of funny because you saw the headlines where they were like, um, you know, this is the first time Chelsea's failed to score in two matches and years. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, two league matches a month apart and, and the second lead match. They, if you look at the stats, you look at the performance, I think that they mostly were doing their thing. They just couldn't get the breakthrough. Um, so then maybe you flip over to, oh, is this perhaps sort of a compounding 
mental issue. Um, and again, I don't know if I mean this in a super serious way because they're in the thick of the title hunt, right? It's not like Arsenal's doing significantly better, but it seems like this presents a new problem for this Emma Hayes group, which seems to thrive on success more than anything, right? Yeah. I mean, it right? Like, it, there just seems to be this mental fog that could be the result of some uncontrollable things feeling really insurmountable right now. I also think they just might legitimately be rusty. They just haven't played in a while. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think they're alone in that. I think you watch some of the games in England since the first of the year, and you're just like, ah, this doesn't feel necessarily like a super cohesive thing right now. I feel bad. I actually feel bad for um, for those teams and for the, the league itself because it seems like it's never, it hasn't yet gotten a chance to really get rolling again after some of the disruptions over the holiday season yeah i mean the thing right the thing that also sticks out to me about chelsea having only played two matches this month so far is that they're they kind of have the sort of the schedule sort of sets up for them to have a rebound period Mm -hmm. and it could just be a really early part of that rebound period again they haven't like you said they're rusty they just haven't played a lot so it feels weird to sort of make conclusions about a group of games that are sort of separated by a whole month. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks down the road, we'll see what Chelsea's up to and what they're not up to. Like, like you mentioned against Brighton, they were doing a lot of their normal things anyway. Right. Yeah. And I think with Chelsea, and I think this is probably true for a number of the English clubs, I think, you know, Chelsea's a great squad. Obviously, I think they're one of the, I think it's very fair to say they're one of the best teams in the world. If you're looking at maybe like top 10, right? Obviously. But they have some positional deficiencies that I think are pretty well known, right? They've struggled to bring outside backs in uh, over the last offseason. They got really exposed uh, out wide when they were playing, um, playing in Europe. And so I think that like you, when you're looking at a season and how little things can go wrong, when you're carrying some imbalances in your squad, maybe, and it also... Um, and there's a little bit of rigidity in your tactics, which I think are the two things that maybe Chelsea's gotten some criticism for. Um, once you have a little bit of bad luck, right, or you have these other circumstances off the field, it can it can affect you. I think it can because I think again, you look at the idea of rigidity of tactics or sort of belief in the process or belief in the system that you run. Um, when that stops working as well, and it's not as easy to maneuver into a different. Um, was the right word to put it like uh, on a different path. I do think that that can, that can cause issues. Obviously they were without Sam Kerr because, because Kerr is, is out for the Asian cup right now. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in a second as well. Um, but yeah, Chelsea's interesting. And I, and I find it, um, I kind of love, and maybe we can just then switch over into, there are two teams really that are sort of spoiling the party between Arsenal and Chelsea right now. And I think that that's really great. I think that, you know, we talk about wanting parity in these leagues and we just talked about all the circumstances that can lead to a former league champion faltering a little bit. Um, but how great that we have, we have Manchester United, which again, they've, they've been on a great run of form. They even knocked Arsenal out of a cup tie, right. Um, before even yep. the play resumed this weekend. And then we have Tottenham Hotspur, which I know, I know, I know you you follow them, right? Are you you're a yes. Tottenham supporter? Is that right? I am. I yeah. am. I don't know. I, maybe I've mentioned it once or twice on this yeah. podcast before, but yes, I am. So talk a little bit about following what they've been doing so far this year. So I think the story really starts a little bit before this season when they fire Karen Hills and Juan Amaros and they hire Rianne Skinner, who isn't necessarily a known quantity um you know in the uh you know in the public eye she's had some like she's been working in the english uh game for a while but not i don't think she had had a head coach uh role anywhere before outside of maybe some youth levels so the question was what can she offer the team and it, she has put together a really cohesive team um uh, really organized in defense and in midfield. I think the one area they're still lacking is up front. There hasn't been a great striker to really do the job up front yet, but uh, my uh, they've 
she has really, she really has transformed the team just by coaching herself. They've added a couple of pieces too, but I think she took a team that the potential, I don't know. I think the potential was a question mark for a while. And she answered that by uh, creating a team that actually has the ability to compete frequently. It is, I think, a majority a coaching story for Tottenham that they were able to pivot, you know, not just being a team that uh, that survives the the first couple years out of the championship, but now really can do some damage. I think more investment is key here. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Rian Skinner's done a good job coaching, but I think there's probably improvements to be made across the board. Like I said, the one area I think they need is a forward. But, you know, it's really a remarkable story. I actually could not have predicted this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. I, I think you're right that what we're seeing with that club is the benefits of that next tier, right, of investment. Um Obviously, there was all the commotion when Alex Morgan was over with Tottenham Hotspur and some of the suggestions she made to management about about training and stuff like that. You have to imagine some of that feedback goes into coaching as well. Um, yeah. And then I think, right, the next step for them would just be to buy more players, right? Like that. Yeah. Once you've put this infrastructure together, it's about just investing in going and finding good pieces. Like I remember right when, when Christy Mewis was training with them for a little bit and people were talking about like, Oh, maybe she's, she might sign with them. They're not sure if they want to pay for that. Um, and, and going into that next level of ambition of being like, no, we want to go get some of the best players and we want to compete for these, these champions league spots. Um, so yeah, I think it's great. And, and maybe then let's, let's switch over to Manchester United the Which team again, they actually lost to this weekend. Right, right. No, this is, it's, it's worth talking about, right? Because Manchester United, right, they got a win over Tottenham and leapfrogged into second. This is, a, again, a moment of, you know, we wouldn't necessarily, this is a very specific conversation to this weekend. But so Man United, coached by Mark Skinner, right, formerly of the Orlando Pride, they haven't given up a goal since the beginning of December across competitions. Their defense has actually been really impressive and so i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna ask you it's a little bit of a shady question but here we go yeah do you think that mark skinner has gotten better at coaching defense and i don't say that like disrespectfully orlando really struggled with their defense or do you just think that the style of play fits his mo a little bit better a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I think we saw Orlando last year before he left also improve defensively. That's true. Um, but I do still lean towards the, the style of play in the FAWSL just being more suited to his tastes, his stylistic tastes than the NWSL was. I think for many years he struggled to really work with the NWSL stylistic tendencies in a way that you know, he isn't struggling with in the FAWSL. And I don't, from what I recall about his record before he joined Orlando, that's, there's a consistency there. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think, um, yeah. And, and it's also fascinating. Again, we talk about the stumbling blocks of some of the, the teams that we expected to compete for the league sort of opening the door. Right. Cause I think, you looked at maybe the performance because Arsenal Arsenal did beat Manchester City. I think it was at the end of November, two to nothing, something like that. They they kind of handled United, right? And then Arsenal has sort of been on this other track over the last month and a half. And it does open the door toward and that's the great thing about league league ties as well, right? Is you know, maybe you don't win all of your head to heads against your closest competitors, but it's about who can show up on the day and get the performances that you need to acquire points. And so I think that that is, that has to be United's game at, at this point. And I'm sure they have to also have, have eyes towards being in Europe next year. Um, oh, absolutely. 100%. And I like that there's not only competition for the league trophy, but there's going to be quite a bit of competition for those, those champions league spots. And I think that, oh, that yeah. is also great. Really, really good. It's good for the, good for the league. And, and I think that looking generally, and we'll talk about Arsenal in a second, because they may be, 
need a little bit of a deeper dive. Um, I like that you have things to be excited about, about a lot of these clubs this year. Right. So we talked about the top four, um, Manchester city, actually they're in fifth right now. And that is actually for them also on a great run of form. They haven't lost in a really long time. They were struggling a lot at the beginning of the season because they had a lot of really kind of terrible, terrible injuries, just sort of, they couldn't field a team that they wanted to field really. And they um, also didn't play a single preseason match, did they? Right. So they weren't ready. They were just not ready for the beginning. Horrible of the series of events for them. Yeah. So they were not ready for the beginning of the season, but they've been clawing their way back, which is again, good that you want that. Um, you want Manchester city making a surge here. You want to see if Tottenham can hold on. Right. Yes. Um, or even you look at a team like I think Reading has had a couple really nice performances, right? They they beat Chelsea um, a couple weeks ago. Um, I think you look at some of the other deeper issues, right? What's going on with Everton? I don't think anybody really knows. They're having yep. a really rough season after everyone kind of thought they were going to be top four contenders this year. Um, hard to tell what's happening there. And yeah, so I just I I've enjoyed. I'll just say in a, in a general sense, I've enjoyed uh, what we've seen in in I will say maybe the last two months in in the league because I think that um, there are some intriguing storylines that are really sort of bucking this idea that you have your mega clubs and then you have everybody else. Um, yeah, it's less predictable than usual, which is yeah. a great thing. Exactly. All right, so let's go to the top. Let's talk about Arsenal. So. Who? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. It's fun. I mean, they're top of the league, right? So we're, we're alluding to, to some rough stuff, but they're still, they're still winning, right? They're still top of the league. Um, they, for them again, their results in league have been fine, right? They're, they're, they're kind of maintaining, they've plateaued maybe is the way to put it in terms of, versus their competition. Um, but they're still building off of this foundation of quite a few good wins in the first couple months of the year. And, but it doesn't maybe the, and this is, again, this is a little bit flyby, but it doesn't feel quite right right now. Right. I think people, people have been talking about a lot, the cohesion within Arsenal. And there's two, there's two different issues there. One being is the attack working is Vivian Miedema getting the touches that she needs? Is she having to draw into different parts of the pitch that are not conducive to her best work? Um, how is she kind of vibing with Nikita Paris? And they bring in um, Blackstinius now. They're, they're trying to sort of build this wealth of talent up front, um, but yet it still sometimes feels like those players are isolated up front. Tobin Heath has been hurt for a while, and she made an immediate impact upon her return this weekend. And then there's just the question of the defense and, and the ability to, to ward off, ward off things in front of goals. So for you, party is what Arsenal's kind of dealing with right now. Did you feel like you saw glimpses of that earlier this season, or do you think that something has shifted for them? I, I wouldn't claim that I saw it earlier this season. Yeah. I mean, they but looked I, great that that three two. You watch that three two win against Chelsea in the first week of the, yeah. of the year, and you go, "Okay, Arsenal's here to here to play, right?" Right, and they're still here to play, right? Yeah, right. Like, I don't know if things have shifted to such a degree where it's like, oh, I mean, obviously, if you're if you're an Arsenal player, an Arsenal coach, an Arsenal fan, you're looking at it maybe like, okay, some things need to be worked on, right? But I think, yeah, at the same time, it could just be one of those ruts that happens yeah right i think they have all of the tools to overcome struggles now yeah i think they're still i mean to me they're still clearly the best team in the league i think you know right now what united second chelsea's third those two teams obviously can do damage right i just sort of think they won't so Arsenal do have problems. I don't think right now it will cost them too much is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and maybe this is a good way to to seg over into 
um, where these teams fit in Europe, right? Because that has been another, uh, you talk about, right, the feeling, the vibe around the teams. It's You have to parse out differences in league results and, and Champions League results because across all competitions, it looks like one thing, right? And then maybe you focus in on the league itself and it looks like a more positive thing. It doesn't look quite as bad. But um, so like, for example, Chelsea, Chelsea got bounced out. They got bounced out of the Champions League. Juventus took the spot that everyone kind of thought that Chelsea was going to have, right? Um, Arsenal is still in it. They've, they've made it to the knockouts, but they almost got knocked out um, because of a, a very lopsided score against Hoffenheim. Um, so maybe this is next question. Not a great showing for English clubs, right? In Europe this year, top tier Europe, right? Um, is that indicative of the league's place in the landscape or is it just indicative of Chelsea and Arsenal having days where they just kind of switch off? I, I think it's the first, I think, I mean, some of it, this, uh, some of these oh, other teams are really good though. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, it, right. I sort of think of it the other way where it's like, sure. The FAWSL maybe feels their ranking changing amongst the rest of the teams in the, in Europe, but it's because these other teams are getting really good. Yeah. You know, the, I think the bigger, you know, the, this, the women's game in Europe, it doesn't feel so centralized in England anymore. Yeah. Which is also another great development. I mean, I have to imagine it probably doesn't feel great if you're an English club on the receiving end of these things. Right. But yeah, I think it just, I think to me, it just speaks to the general ebb and flow of who's getting better and how some of it, I think is just, it's a temporary thing. You know, Arsenal and Chelsea just didn't have great results. They didn't have great games, but I don't think it necessarily is a mark on the FAWSL as a whole. I, you know, these, these teams are all in good positions to improve. Yeah. But I think it really it just, it's just another example of the increased investment across the continent. Yeah. Making sure. for more fun competition harder. If you're one of the established big teams, that has been one of the bigger teams for a while, but right. Well, and also I think you look at, right, you look at Arsenal's group in particular, and they happen to be in the group with the team that is about as close to the perfect, the perfect club team that, that exists in, in women's soccer right now. Um, so yeah, my thought on that is this, and this is my thought, you know, not to, not to have NWSL uh, pop up in this conversation, but this is my <laughs> thought about NWSL as well, which is, you know, there's this feeling, there's this adage, right. Of, some other leagues in Europe, they say, yes, 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 right. These other teams are very, very good, but they don't actually have to play anybody hard except for three or four times out of the year, right? That's like the knock on some of these other leagues. Um, you say about NWSL, or I think also this is uh, something that you hear out of England as well, which is, you know, these other teams, um, it's harder, right? It's harder to play in the league because you do have more parity. You are kind of doing battle every weekend, but for me, I say, well, okay, if you're doing battle every weekend in this parody filled league, that should be preparing you <laughs> for yeah. these games against these other teams. Arguably. And if it's not sufficiently doing that, then I'm not sure exactly how these, these kind of ideas hold up, right? If, yeah. if Barcelona... And and I and I don't actually think this is entirely true, but like running with that that logic, if Barcelona doesn't have to play a hard game until Champions League and then they crush, it's like, well, no, they're still just as good. It doesn't the, yeah. the quality of the games each week um, doesn't doesn't change that. Or same with Lyon or, or PSG. And so, I that's kind of my thought is I'm like, well, if 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 Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, whoever's going to be in, in Champions League next year. If, if they are sort of molded by league play, I think they still got to step it up, right? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that there's sort of like an art to building a super club or a yeah. super team. Yeah. 
which I mean, you 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 see it with Lyon for many years. I for many years, people didn't really rate the French league. They probably still don't, right? But they were the team running away with the Champions League every year. Right. It was a foregone conclusion. Barcelona are, I think, becoming the next version of that. I don't know if we'll ever have an exact copycat of Lyon ever again. Barcelona is so good, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But like if there's a natural successor to that right yes. now, it's yeah. Barcelona. And you've For seen sure. it. Right. You've seen it in the women's game throughout its history. You're seeing you've seen it in the men's game. There is an art to building that super team and that sure. super club where like, obviously, if you're going to build a team that's the best in Europe, it's obviously going to be the best in its league, too. And just because it's sometimes when you. You see, you know, Barcelona, or even in the past, I mean, Lyon, to some degree, is still doing it, putting, you know, a huge number of goals past their opponents. It doesn't just mean that they play in a quote-unquote garbage league. Right. Sometimes it means, sure, maybe they are playing in a league where they're much better than their opponents, but they're also maybe better than all of the opponents they're ever going to face. Right, exactly. They're just better right? than Like, everybody. it's just, yeah. they, built, they built a super team. They built the right. super club. They're I mean, just going to beat everybody. Yeah, I think the best example in the men's game, the best equivalent in the men's game right now is Bayern Munich, right, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can look at the men's Bundesliga and complain maybe if you're a fan of one of the other teams but for the most part people like watching Bayern Munich play because they're really good right and just know how to beat teams yeah and when they show up in the Champions League they also compete there um so yeah I think there's precedent for it and I don't think that it has to be a, a mark against against anything so um yeah, so that's that's sort of the the outlook outlook in in England and and elsewhere. I'm looking forward to the Champions League coming back. We're getting to the knockouts. I think that's going to be really oh, fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really fun. I think it's cool that Juventus made it in. I think it's you know we're seeing kind of a mix um, in a really positive way. Um, yeah, so maybe just the other the other just quick discussion I wanted to have because the other major thing going on internationally right now is the Asian Cup. Asian Cup. Uh, so this is the AFC regional competition. Um, and there are some intriguing storylines here, not least because there's, this is like the new, this is new in that there are a lot of world cup slots on the line here because we're going into 2023, which is an expanded world cup field, right? So these regional competitions, obviously we'll see the euros later in the year and, and CONCACAF later in the year. Um, we're going to see some, some countries that perhaps have less experience on the world stage really get a shot at going to the big dance. Um, and yet, you know, we're looking at some of the results and history is sort of repeating itself a little bit sometimes as well. Right. Um, we saw Australia who are probably the front runners for, for winning, though they haven't won in a while. It would be kind of a big deal if they did win the Asian cup, but they 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 dropped a lot of goals on Indonesia in their first group. only 18 only 18 right you know and a, a casual that's exactly a goal every 5 minutes um which is pretty remarkable i think they also had two penalties in that game <laughs> you're just like yeah. did they have to, did we have to do that i i guess we do have to keep <laughs> following the rules but um an example of inequities, right? An investment. Anybody who follows the women's game knows exactly what that is, right? It's it's um whenever you see an 18-0 score line, you say if if there was investment, if there was even the slightest bit of professional investment in this team, you could cut that in half, probably, right? Um, and then work from there. So I think that you see something like an 18-0 that is not reflective of an opponent that has been given all of the faculties available to, to compete with a team like Australia full of professionals. Right. Right. Um, which is, again, this happens, this happens where we are not at a point where this does not occur on the regional level. We're probably going to see it in the world cup too, because yeah. again, we're, we've seen this expanded field doesn't mean it's not worth these countries getting these opportunities or these athletes getting these opportunities. Um, but this is just the name nature of the game. We're going to be talking about it in, in CONCACAF, I'm sure as well. Um, we'll probably how, be talking about it with every regional tournament. Yeah, forever. For, 
Yeah, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, until I mean, until right. globe truly globally um standards begin to raise for the women's game. Um and then on a bit of a another downer note, the hosts, India, um, this is a little bit bizarre to me in the way that the rules have been implemented because I didn't know I've never seen this before. I'm not sure we've ever had a team have to completely pull out of a, a a tournament once games have started, right? We've seen teams, I think, have to withdraw right before. Right. Um, but what happened with India, who are the hosts, they had a COVID outbreak after their first game. Um, and it was so widespread that they didn't have enough players to field. I think the, the minimum was 13. It was yes. not, they did not even have 13 players to play their second game against uh, Chinese Taipei. With that in mind, there was no way that they were going to be able to have enough recovered players in order to play against China PR. So they have been eliminated from the tournament and, and this I've never seen before. And you can tell me if you have their results were declared null and void, meaning that their previous draw against Iran no longer exists. Have you ever seen something like this? No. Before? I mean, the closest thing I've seen something not existing. This is a very different circumstance was um a belgium men's friendly getting voided because it's a friendly because they put on too many substitutes and one player actually had as a result two debut games because the first oh, one I was see. voided yeah. but that that's very not different in like a competition, just, just right? a friendly it was right. yeah yeah no this i and what i think it, i don't remember if you mentioned but now it's not just that all of india's games or the one india game is voided all of the third place teams, because there are quarterfinal berths for third place teams, yeah. their matches against the fourth place team in their group do not count now. Right. Which yeah. is weird. It is weird. It's definitely weird. And it is something where I I empathize, right, with trying to figure out what to do about this. Nobody wants to have a COVID outbreak in their tournament, right? Um, ultimately, I think and this sucks. Ultimately, I think the the bylaws of the constitution of the games kind of punish a team that have an outbreak in a little bit of a, well, your bubble burst, right? So yeah. these are the consequences of that, which I don't think is necessarily fair, especially with how contagious the Omicron variant is. Um, and it does mess with, and we, we sort of mentioned this, there were there are quite a few opportunities to make the world cup out of this tournament. I think it's six teams, right? Right. I think half of this field could be at the world cup next year. Yeah. And India being denied that opportunity is a huge bummer. Right. Um, And then it makes things a little bit weird at the end of the group stage as well. So not what you want to see, but also a sign of the times. It it just kind of is what it is. Um, However, you know, there's some cool stuff happening. I think maybe for me, I, I am sad that the scoreless draw between India and Iran was nullified because that was a great result for Iran. Yes, <laughs> you know? their first major soccer tournament this, yeah. uh, for this team. Right. And they did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, they defended like crazy. They did really, really well. Um, and so that, you know, I, I want them to have that point you know yeah Um, because they earned it uh the other the other country that i'm keeping an eye on i think uh, the fascinating one is actually the philippines yes because they are in the group with australia and as expected australia has six points out of two games they're probably going to win all of their games and move on um but philippines beat thailand and thailand was maybe expected to be the runner-up team in that group and so Philippines are in a good spot to advance out of the group in second, which is exciting. That's really, really cool. Um, They're a team that has kind of been floating around the world stage for a while. And it's great to see them take that next step. Um, And then you have some of your, your usual suspects, right? We have Japan, we have Korea, um, we have China PR. And I think maybe the interesting thing at the top, and you can tell me if you agree is Australia seems kind of poised for this one. And like I said, Mm -hmm. they haven't won in a while, but part of that is just due to Japan's in a weird spot. They didn't do that great at the Olympics last year. They fired their coach. Right. 
they're not really in a rebuild because they've, they're a young team already. And they've been building off of this foundation on the youth scene because they've done quite well in the youth tournaments, but there haven't been any youth tournaments in two years. Um, and, and then you kind of have, you have the rest, right? Korea is, has a number of really talented players, but isn't always as organized as they could be. China also has had a lot of coaches, I think, in the last five years as <laughs> yeah. well. And so there's just not a lot of cohesion. And so maybe, maybe to close this out, already maybe looking into the knockout stages. Do you think this is do you think this is Australia's Australia's year? Do you think they could get Yeah. 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 I think I think anything other than Australia winning is a disappointment for them. Yeah. And a surprise for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Just the other teams are not in a position, I think, right now to win this tournament. I think Japan would be the closest thing. They I don't think it would be the biggest surprise in the world if they pulled it off, but still this is Australia's to lose. Everybody else is just they're not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that when you talk about narrative, right, narrative going into the World Cup, Australia's story is an interesting one in that they're the hosts, right? They have a lot of pressure kind of being placed on them. And I think they're feeling ambitious. I think what Tony, the the energy that Tony Gustafson has brought to the program is one of we're going to take it to everybody. We're going to clean up the, the issues that we have and we're going to be as dominant as possible. And I think that the players have really bought into that. And so I think for Australia, it's not, oh, we want to qualify for the World Cup. We want to be the best in the region. I think it's, we want to be in the World Cup final. I think that for them, that is the goal. I think that is the standard that they're setting for themselves and they want to do it on home soil. And I think that's cool. I think it's the, I I think it's the right vibe for that team. They, We've been talking about Australia for a long time now, and they haven't yet risen to that level on the on uh, on the international stage at you know international mm-hmm. tournaments. I don't think you know they've. I don't. They haven't played a lot of semifinals or. Finals. I think the fourth. I think the fourth place finish at the Olympics last year was the best they've they've ever done. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And we all know what this is. What kind of damage these players can do? We all know the potential this team has Tony Gustafson feels like a right fit, not just, you know, tactically, but the vibe feels very, you know, feels very ambitious. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that. They, I look, we got a great uh, reason to watch them during the Olympics. And even with those friendlies at the end of the year with the U S They are not a perfect team, but they are very, very, very fun team to watch. Yeah, I think, right, not perfectly balanced. Very few, but very few national teams are, right? right? Because you're you're limited to, to what you have. But I think, right, I think the mentality is there. I think there's a mental edge. I think there's, again, I'm not, I am not at all advocating for this, but I think <laughs> you watch the team that scores 18 goals, right? That's a U.S. mentality. That is a yeah. we are not taking the foot off the pedal for one second. We are go, 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 go. And I think that in these kinds of tournaments, as we've seen with the U.S., that can go a long way. So I'm fascinated. I am fascinated. Yeah, because Tony Gustav, he's like a he is a he's a very emotive, encouraging uh, like he, I, I joke very expressive. Yeah. Very expressive. He he's working really hard to make these players believe that this is going, that they are going to win and that they are going to be one of the best teams in the world. And I would love to see it, to be honest. Um, all right. Yeah. We need, so we that's, need that's, that's Asia more, any, yeah, any we other... need a few more teams to break into that upper tier of yeah. being a Agreed. great national team. Yeah. Why not Australia? Why not Australia? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Any other Asian cup thoughts or. Um. Uh, no, no, you got the Philippines. Yeah. Um, watch out for that quarterfinal that Australia is going to have to play because they're going to have to play a very good team mm-hmm. in either Japan or Korea, and then the loser of that team is going to have to do like an extra round to get to the World Cup, which they will probably make. But right. there are roughly a million chances for all of these teams to make it to the world cup. Yeah. And you know, group stage is well and good, but once, once that, 
that, you know, that place is on the line. You never know. You never know what kind of nerves might set in. So I think that that'll be interesting to watch as well. All right. Very good. So that's a little bit of around the world. Um, we'll come back for not as long a, a conversation, but a little bit of a conversation about what's happening stateside. Um, Cause it's not great, but <laughs> <laughs> when is it? I know, but we'll get into that in round two. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Party Catri. As always, give us a nice review. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or where you find us on streaming. Helps us out. Helps people find us. We're here every dang week talking about the stuff that we got to talk about. So (laughs) help us out. Help people find us. Um, Yeah. NWSL. Um, You know, it's been really interesting for me. Because I've been hosting the podcast for about a year now. And it's amazing how my patience is running out a little bit with with some of this NWSL stuff. And who could blame you? Yeah, it's it's really I think that there have I, I've been reflecting on it a little bit actually, because you go through a number of years of being like, Yes, this could be better, but there's still good things and um trying to frame it in in a a realistic sense right because i don't think that it's useful to overstate uh the negatives i don't think that's useful but man i don't know a a good so about four weeks ago last time you were on the podcast party i asked you i said do you think players show up on february 1st and we are getting some indicators now that the answer is no if they don't have a CBA in place. Um, are you surprised? Did you think maybe that the owners could pull this out or, or are you like, well, this is par for the course now. I did not have faith that the owners would pull this one out. Let, let's just yeah. be clear. If there's any group of people to lack faith in, in the NWSL, it's them. Um, but really my question was sort of, were the players prepared to do it? And it seemed like for a while the answer might have been yes, but now it seems like the answer is very clearly yes. And I, you know, you know what? Good for them that they are prepared to do this. It has been too long that these players have been operating without a CBA. Just that at a certain point, that's inexcusable. There's, you know, some young league stuff, whatever, but, you know, they've been at the bargaining table for a long time everybody deserves to operate within a collective bargaining agreement. Well, yeah. And, and to be clear, you know, they launched the no more side hustles campaign, I think in like July of 2021, something like that middle of the season, they've Mm -hmm. been doing CBA negotiations for longer than that. This is not like a six month process. This is something that has been, I think they started at like the back end of 2020. I think they did. Yeah. I think it's been over a year now that they've been trying to get this done And the reason why people are seeing an escalating public conversation about it is because the PA feels like that's necessary (laughs) to get closure. Um, Because I do think that there have been sort of ebbs and flows in the productivity of this due to a lack of engagement on the ownership side. Um, And that has sort of persisted now into these last couple of weeks before preseason. Um, and right. It's like disappointed, but not surprised. Right. Yeah. I, I think to, to be clear, some reporting from, from Meg Linehan, I actually did a little bit of reporting for just women's sports. Um, some of the sticking points here, I don't know if it's wages exactly. You know, I think that the thing with wages is you've got numbers on the table, right. And you just sort of go back and forth on what everyone feels comfortable with. It's more like what uh, what ownership does the PA have over name, image, and likeness? Do clubs deserve a cut of that? Um, things like free agency. Now, when we say that the, when they're working on the finer points of free agency, and I'm, I'm not saying this with a ton of inside information, I'm more just kind of looking at what I understand about what free agency is. Um, I don't think it's clubs saying no free agency. I think it's more like what 
year should a player be eligible for free agency yeah with maybe this a a new era of two and three year contracts right maybe the clubs say i actually don't think a player who's only been in the league for two years should be able to talk to anybody but us um they have to play in the league for four years or five years or six years in order to be able to have a, a less restricted free agency it's possible that the PA has set out sort of a series of terms and the ownership doesn't think that that is reasonable. And I think it's really hard when you're starting with a precedent of we own your rights in perpetuity forever <laughs> to yeah. cut that down at all. Right. I think that perhaps when ownership is looking at terms set up for actual free agency, the difference between forever and four years is a lot, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. It It's going to be a very interesting... It's just going to be interesting to see where meeting in... The, what meeting in the middle means for these two parties. Because the NWSL, for more or less its entire existence, has operated where the clubs have a really significant amount of control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like free agency is one thing where, I mean, you, you, we've seen this play out in probably most, if not every American league. Uh, it's a real, it, it, it sort of feels like the emblem of the control argument mm-hmm. I- between owners and players. So, yeah, I mean, I think it really is just stuff like that. That's probably still, uh, that's probably still the issue between the two sides, but I, you know, I, I see why these aren't small things though. And you understand why, okay, maybe if the difference is, you know, four years and I have to imagine at this point, I would hope anyway, the difference isn't between one side saying four years is enough. And the other side saying, no, they're forever. We, you know, is not, you know, hopefully there is there are numbers that both sides are putting up at this point. Right. These aren't small things. And another issue that, you know, it, that I think was reported in the athletic piece was when does this stuff apply? Yeah, right. Right. Because I've at, at this point, a lot of player movement has happened under old, old rules. rules. Right. Yeah. So. I wonder when those new rules, I wonder when all parties would like those to kick in. It sort of feels like maybe for continuity's sake, you save it for later. But I feel like there's also just a reasonable argument for it to start now. I disagree. I think it should start right now. I think. Yeah. Um, so I the, the thought that just popped into my head, right? Here's the thought that just popped into my head. Say even it's a say it's a conservative number of years, say it's six Six years, which would be a lot of years, a lot of years. You have to play in the NWSL for six years before you retain your own rights. Okay. There are players like that. Let's look at Jess Fishlock. There's one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She just signed a new two-year deal with OL Reign. Okay, great. Non-issue. She's got two years on her deal. You know, it's that kind of thing. Just sign them, sign players to terms that you guys agree with. And um, then the free agency issue won't be a problem. Then the other thing is, and I, I do not, I don't, I, this is just me just talking about me, but if you have a team that says we need to wait to implement a higher wage structure because we don't have the money to pay more, that is an ownership problem. That is not the player's problem. Yes. Agree. And so I think at that point you're like, well, I think you need to work on your financial solvency and pay what you're agreeing to. Um, I mean, part of the problem is that most of the NWSL rules do not incentivize owners right now to be more competitive than they already are. Yeah, agreed. 100%. Um, I mean, that's probably the main, uh, that's a main culprit of a lot of the issues in the league. Yeah, And I also, I mean, it ties directly back to free agency. The only reason I would advocate to start it later is because I'm, you know, I don't know if there are certain players who maybe negotiated certain deals or made certain decisions without having free agency. Like, and 
it was oh, and very... felt like they maybe made bad deals. Is that what you mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like at the same time, you, I, I don't know if that's a compelling enough argument. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the sort of idea is, OK, well, we can't extend the issues further. If the issues existed in the past, they did the ideas to make sure they don't exist as soon as possible. Right. Yeah, um, for sure. And then I think, you know, I think maybe the other element and this is one that I think ties exactly to what you're saying about how there is no God, I'm not getting into the single entity structure conversation, <laughs> but there, there isn't a, we're seeing it. It's like the, it's like the fight there has seen in baseball right now, right? Where there is no incentive to um, be more competitive than you already are. I think a fundamental issue that we're seeing between players and owners. And this is, I think more of a ripple effect that is going to be a problem in the future for NWSL if it wants to remain competitive is I think the players want this league to be great. I think they want it to be competitive on the world stage. They want it to be a place where players want to be. They want to focus all of their attention into being the best versions of themselves. They want fans in the stands they want a good TV contract. They want this league to be great. Yeah. And I think right now the ownership side is arguing that that is unreasonable. That's an unreasonable request. Yeah. And I, right, think I think that's a tough place to be. Yeah. No, I think the NWSL's greatest asset is that these are players that all realize, look, there's a limited amount of time they can all achieve whatever it is they want to achieve as professional players, but they have not just decided, yeah, I have to do what's best for me. They've decided doing what's best for me is also what is doing what's best for this league. When, I mean, at least several players probably could decide, you know what, this, this isn't for me. Now, part of the problem is there aren't a ton of great places to turn to for nwsl players but it's growing i think that's the other element though too we talked about this with me official going to mexico last week right um there are more landing places right um yeah and then maybe the final thought that i have um and this is the more emotional side of things rather than just sort of the businessy side is word has been still that part of the reason why this is not getting done is due to lack of urgency on the ownership side um, where players don't feel like their time has been respected and they don't feel like the seriousness with which they're taking this has been matched. Um, And that to me is where I, you know, I, again, I'm losing patience, which is that I think that you hoped because you had to after 2021 that those on the ownership side understood the severity of what the league went through and were really committed to active change, not only just in sort of how they feel, but in the way they engage with the league itself. Right. We haven't really, I'm not sure we're seeing that change with this, with these, with these negotiations. I think we're seeing um, a lack of engagement and, That's kind of scary to me because I do think that everything now going forward becomes just here. Here's maybe what I'm saying. We talk a lot in women's sports about suppressed revenue and suppressed investment and suppressed outcome, right? You suppress investment. That's going to affect your outcome, right? Um, That's talked about a lot. Like it's coming from outside forces, outside forces suppressing revenue and income and investment. When the call is coming from inside the house, that spells the end of NWSL as a premier league before it even has a chance to try, I guess, is maybe where I'm at with this at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I sort of think about it this way. A lot of the NWSL's problems stem from the people that are still working there. Right. And obviously there is a version of events where it, it it doesn't have to necessarily be this situation, but it could be any situation, right? Where somebody maybe 
does some does something wrong or makes a huge mistake or just there's so much oversight or I mean or lack of oversight. And I would love some- so much oversight. That would be yeah, so good. I know. I know. <laughs> or even just like some oversight. But no, really, right. so much oversight would be the right idea here. Um, right. But there's there's a version of any sort of mistake or bad situation where somebody is presented all of their mistakes and becomes at least reactionary to a point where they're like, well, let me figure out how I messed this up so badly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people correct their mistakes only when they've been so pointed out to them. So obviously, but still there are people that do correct their mistakes. And then there are some people who after creating the mistakes, after enjoying such a lack of oversight, even when they're presented their mistakes and their shortcomings, I'm sure some of these owners, look, some of these owners are directly at fault for a lot of the problems in this league, and they are probably actively trying to maintain this power structure. Yeah. But I think part of it is that there are way too many people who have all of this power and do not know where to begin to fix the problem. And I'm not saying it's an easy problem to fix, but I think NWSL owners from maybe the get-go have lacked certain initiative. You know, they probably, look, they didn't obviously lack initiative to start the league. Right. You know, starting the league, creating teams, making sure uh, clubs exist. That's an important thing to do. But they've sort of, they act as if that was the only thing to do. To merely exist is the only thing they need to do. Mm -hmm. When clearly existence is how is that? It's not a recipe for growth. It's just not. And there are threats coming from all over the place. And these threats, you know, we're talking about this sort of, you know, the NWSL owners lack initiative to compete even amongst each other. But unlike a lot of other American sports leagues, they have to compete with organizations across the globe. And it's not like, these uh, organizations, these teams, these leagues just launched last year or just started gaining some serious headway last year. We, how many years have people in the American women's soccer space been talking about, well, are the other places going to finally catch up one of these days? Right. We've been talking about it for a long time on the pitch and off the pitch. And for a very long time, these owners, these leaders have lacked initiative then they are still the ones making the decisions here. They're still the ones calling the shots. They're the ones that didn't show up to CBA negotiations until October, about a year into the process, which is very unprofessional behavior. Right. So, you know, you talk about, I mean, you lacking patience, you losing patience. That's that the NWSL leadership had all of this headway, there are lots of basically the people that pay attention to this league wanted to succeed. They have they they had the foundation for people to champion them and continued to waste it for many years. It's it's unprofessional behavior in a lot of different ways. Yeah, yeah. Well put. Um yeah, so a couple little things, right? Like uh thing number one, preseason's quite long right? It's about a month and a half. So there is some flex time should, should players choose to strike. But I think obviously the point of a strike is not flex time. The point of a strike is to force the issue because it would be bad actually, if the strike continued. Um, Another thing I'm interested to see is um, strikes are not always passive things, nor should they be right. Um, strikes are not, oh, I'm just not going to work. Strikes are, we're actually spending all of our hours that we would be working on organizing, whether it's uh, collective action locally or, uh, again, increased CBA conversations. Um, when, when an organization that my, my experience is with the teachers union here in Chicago, um, but when an organization goes on strike, it is not 
just a, we have a day off of work. It's, we are actually using this time to try to further what we are trying to accomplish. Um, so I don't know exactly what that looks like for NWSL. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we'll just kind of see at what point the owners decide they care, right? Is it when the challenge cup is in danger? Is it like what, at what point are concessions made? And to be honest, and I want to prepare people for this too. The PA is also going to have to make some concessions to get this done because there is also going to be a point where it's not in their best interest to have a strike continue. So my expectation is that at the end of this, we are going to get an imperfect contract that is unprecedented and historic and a good step forward and not what everybody wants. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think that's kind of where this is going to end just based on what I've seen in the past. Um, Real quick, before we go, this is already long, but we do want to mention as well that the NWSL did basically say that they basically continued their position of not getting involved in the Washington Spirit ownership dispute, meaning that now that the tide has turned in Michelle Kang's favor, um, they're not going to do anything about that. They're going to let the Washington Spirit board vote on on Michelle Kang's sort of takeover, right? Which is... it. Bought shares, new bought shares, plus I think just some voting alignment on the Washington Spirit Board. So she has um, acquired more shares in the team, but it's that in addition to other shareholders voting in her favor that she feels confident she is going to retain majority or not retain, but she's going to achieve operating ownership of the Washington Spirit. Yeah, the NWSL phrased it like it was like they they can't uh, there's nothing for them to block anymore. But legally, right. they have to wait for the Washington Spirit to say to vote on it and say, "Hey, yeah, she's the majority owner and the controlling owner, and now she can do whatever it is that she wants to do with that." Right, and the sort of ironic thing about that, right, is that both Baldwin and Kang presented to the board of owners, and Baldwin wanted league meddling essentially which is hilarious because he was banking on them not doing anything when he wanted to sell to Todd Bailey so it's now that it was not going in his favor was when he wanted the league to step in Uh, that guy um I know we're 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 plotting towards the end here where we don't talk about unprofessional yeah right exactly um just constantly so I mean that's good news right that would have been it would have been such a horrifying decision by the league to step in at this point that you would hoped that they wouldn't, but I wonder if know. they would have faced legal action, right? If they had chosen yeah, to choose to, to act after else. not. Yeah. yeah. The whole point, their whole background with this is that they don't want to get sued. And so they are continuing, which not- is by the way, not a horrible point of view. Oh, agreed. Oh yeah. I get that. I mean, yeah, yes, I understand it. Um, so we're going to find out what happens in the Washington board meeting uh, eventually. Right. Um, just a fascinating story when it's all uh, said and done, but we're not quite there yet, but we are one step closer to the finish line. Um, I will just, I just have to say that I am just intellectually very impressed with Michelle Kang's ability to outmaneuver her opponent here. Um, Yeah. But it's all very businessy as well, and it's much, much above my pay. I mean, but it's a, it's a very savvy business move, yeah, though. I think right. we all, I mean, for months, it seemed like either Baldwin was going to sell to her or he wasn't going to sell to her, and, and then she just took the option out right. of his hands. Yeah, right. Like maybe there'd be some legal battle, and, right? But she was just like, no. And if I do some other way that nobody else thought about before. Right. Nobody else here thought about, not maybe in the history of business, but <laughs> yeah, everybody's made this joke, but it really does feel like a storyline out of succession, which yeah. um, is, is hilarious. Uh, so that's good news. I think that having Kang involved in the board of governors is going to be important, um, especially because she does seem like someone who very much wants this league to be great as well. I think you need yeah. more voices like that in the room. Um and yeah, that's about it for this week. I mean, we covered a lot. We we tried to cover like a lot of games as well as some offseason stuff. But um, it's hard. It's hard when you're like, we're going to talk about everything else. And so, yes, this becomes <laughs> a long episodes. But uh, yeah, I think we're going to get news. We're obviously going to get news on the end of the cell front. We might have a series of, of breaking pieces of news, right? I'm sure that news might actually change very quickly. Um, 
but yeah, I'm setting up for an interesting week. It is setting up for an interesting week, no doubt. And we're still having player movement and all that sort of stuff. I think when you are in a front office, you still have to act like preseason is happening. Um, even though it might not, um, personally, you know, I, I think everybody has a right to their own opinion. I think that the players are right to strike if they do not feel like they can get some of these foundational issues taken care of. Um, and you can donate, right? You can donate right to their emergency fund. So if you are a fan that wants to help the, the players association through what is probably going to be a pretty stressful time, maybe take a look at that. Uh, so I have been Claire Watkins as always. Thank you so much party for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy and our distributor blue wire podcasts. We'll be back next week with, with, and I say this every time with, I'm sure something crazy. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> Everybody have a good week. We'll talk to you next time.